So good to be with you, church, and to see all the ninjas in the room. Good to see half of your faces. Um, first, my wife, Angela, and I, our family, would like to thank you so much for your prayers, for your concerns, um, and the generosity of the time that you've given me to rest and to heal from the stroke that I had back in January. God has been incredibly kind through your prayers. He's brought lots of healing, lots of restoration. I put on some weight. I called the 2020-30 to show you that I'm healthy, I'm all right, I'm here. And I um, hope uh, this is just kind of the beginning of my being able to join the preaching team once again to help uh, bring God's word to you. After an incredible sermon series called Unique, which we can find online, we're gonna be back in the Gospel of Matthew today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. It's an incredible story. Let's read it together. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Matthew tells us that Jesus has withdrawn to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is a Gentile, a non-Jewish territory. His ministry in Israel had become so big and so popular that the only way to find some sort of rest or reprieve was to go outside of Israel. Remember, he's been teaching and healing and feeding literally tens of thousands of people. So Jesus goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon for a couple of reasons. First, from the human perspective, Jesus needed to rest. And isn't that already incredible? Jesus has come and he's bound himself up with us, including taking on our weaknesses and our frailties to the point that he got tired. Jesus didn't just die for us. He was willing to every day get tired for us. That's from the human perspective. But from the divine perspective, Jesus had an appointment. He had an appointment with a Gentile lady in desperate need for him. This is a picture of Jesus leaving the 99 in order to go after the one. First, who is this lady? In the parallel passage in Mark chapter seven, Mark tells us that she is a Syrophoenician woman. Matthew goes beyond that to tell us that she's a Canaanite woman. Jesus was speaking to a Gentile, Syrian, Phoenician, Canaanite woman. Each of these things is meant to communicate a distance between this woman and the access that she would have had to Jesus. Pastor Legan Duncan said, if Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
She was a Gentile of Gentiles. If ever someone was a Gentile in the flesh, part of the uncircumcision, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, a stranger to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world, it was this woman. In other words, what? Here was a woman who had absolutely no grounds for natural claim on Jesus or his mercy. And yet here she was. She came to Jesus. She found him. Or rather, Jesus had come to her, right? Rather, Jesus had found her. She throws herself at Jesus' feet, crying, begging, and pleading for mercy. Why? because her beloved daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. I love what J.C. Rao says about this little girl in this passage. He said, hopeless and desperate as her case appeared, she had a praying mother. And where there is a praying mother, there is always hope. Sometimes the only thing, and yet the greatest thing that we could ever do for our kids is to pray for them. And so this Canaanite Gentile woman is in utter desperation. She's in a dark situation filled with pain, pain that only a mother could know. This lady's daughter isn't just having a hard time at school. She doesn't just have some physical illness or disease as difficult as that might be. She is being oppressed by a demon. And not only that, but she says her daughter is being severely oppressed by a demon. But... In the region of Tyre and Sidon, not Israel, and within a woman, not a man, a woman of Canaanite descent, a people cursed by God, not from an Israelite, a chosen people of God, and in the midst of such horrific and dark circumstance filled with tears, suffering, and pain, not in the midst of health and wealth, there, there was found faith. And not just any faith. But Jesus says, great faith. And that, and that changed everything. This Canaanite woman with the demon-possessed daughter had the faith to find Jesus. She calls him Lord three times in a manner of a few verses, searched through the scriptures. We don't find anybody else doing this. And she has the faith to give him this messianic title, the son of David. Peter doesn't even do this until Matthew chapter 16. Where is such faith coming from? What we need to see here is that faith is found in the most unlikely of places, the most unexpected, most improbable of places. If you're ever looking at somebody, and for whatever reason, for whatever reason you think, whether it's their cultural background, their socioeconomic background, or the life choices background, for whatever reason you're looking at this person and you're just thinking, there's just no way that person is going to ever believe in Jesus. There's just no way that person is going to put their faith in Jesus and be saved. You're wrong. You're wrong. God can birth faith into anybody. He saved you, didn't he? He birthed faith into you, didn't he? Nobody's too far gone. The way that we ought to think about ourselves is if God could save me, he can save anybody, right? Or if you ever see somebody going through some tragedy in their lives and, and you think, gosh, that's just so hard. That's just going to break them. There's just no way that after going through something like that, that they're ever going to believe in a God who is good, 
who was kind, who was merciful, who was gracious, you're on. They can. No amount of darkness could keep out the light when God said, let there be light, right? And no amount of sin, no amount of darkness, no amount of suffering can keep out faith when God commands us to believe. And I want us to look at this story to see that God oftentimes grows our faith, not in spite of the darkness, not in spite of the suffering, but through the darkness, through the suffering. God was using something as dreadful as demon oppression as an instrument to bring this woman into the kingdom. If her situation wasn't as dire, if it wasn't as desperate, she might have been tempted to go to something else or to someone else for her hope. It was precisely because she was in such a desperate situation that she came to realize that only Jesus could do. Nothing else could bring her healing. No one else can bring her hope. Jesus was her only hope. When was the last time that you were desperate for Jesus? When was the last time that you went to him over and over and over again saying, Jesus, I need you. Only you will do. Nothing else will do. Only you, Lord. When's the last time you remember your faith being enlarged and hoping in him and him alone? When everything was going great and amazing or when everything was falling apart? You see, suffering and desperate situations in our lives are God's instruments to awaken us out of our sense of self-sufficiency into the reality of the matter that we are utterly and absolutely in need of Jesus. That's the number one lesson I've learned through this stroke, that I am utterly and absolutely in need of Jesus, and I always have been. It's the painful and the dark times in our lives that God often uses to till the soil of our hearts and to make it fertile for great faith. And so to this incredible display of faith from this Canaanite woman, what is Jesus' response to her? Verse 23 says, but he did not answer her a word. This incredible faith. Jesus' response, he did not answer her a word. The church father, Chrysostom, said, the word has no word. The fountain is sealed. The physician holds back his remedy. The woman cried out in great pain and sorrow, and yet with great faith, mercy, Lord. Mercy, have mercy on me, son of David. And yet the Lord answered her not a word. This was so unlike him, right? He who was always so ready with responses to the cry of grief had no response for her. The one who said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This weary woman came to him, and he did not give her rest. The one who said, whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This woman, she came to him, and it seems as though he was casting her out. Have you ever faced the test such as this, church? You've prayed, and you've prayed, and you prayed with great faith even, but he gave you not a word. 
Have you ever felt that no matter how much you cried out to him, the Lord was ignoring you and avoiding you? Have you ever felt that as desperate as you were for him, he wasn't desperate for you? And the enemy comes with whispers that say, the Savior is not accessible to you. Maybe that person over there who actually reads the Bible, who actually prays, who doesn't fall into lust or anger or love of money all the time, to that person. But you, your life is such that you are shut out from his mercy. But Jesus isn't casting her out with his silence. He's drawing her in and he's putting our faith on display for his disciples to see and for us to see. He's showing us that faith, great faith, is not dissuaded or deterred in any way by silence. And look at the disciples' response that gives us further clue that Jesus is drawing her in with his silence, not casting her out. Verse 23 says, and his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. How do you send a beggar away? What's the easiest way to send a beggar away? Just give them what they want, right? Jesus' disciples had seen Jesus answer prayers, grant requests, perform healings, provide loaves of bread and fish for tens of thousands of people. And so they saw and experienced tens of thousands of times what happened afterwards. The masses getting what they wanted and going back to their lives. How many of our prayer requests, how many of our prayer requests, if God were to grant them to us, would we just immediately walk away from Jesus? because we finally got what we really wanted. Jesus doesn't just want your prayers. He doesn't just want your requests. He wants you. He wants you, church. And if answering your prayer would ultimately mean that you walk away from him, then he's not going to answer your prayer. As God's children, we have the blessing of him answering our prayers at times and the safety of him not. The question is, do we have the faith to trust him? And so Jesus' disciples are saying to Jesus, Jesus, this lady is really annoying. She's so loud. We came out here to rest. Just give her what she wants so that she'll go away. And so by not answering her, Jesus was doing the opposite of what the disciples wanted. Jesus loved seeing her faith. He came out to find rest and refreshment. And so he found that rest and refreshment in this Canaanite woman's faith. He didn't want to cast her out. He wanted to draw her in. His silence was not cruelty. It was an invitation. When you've been praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're met with the silence of God, it's an invitation. He's saying, come in further, come in further. And so in continuing to draw her in, he now breaks his silence and he's going to speak. But his words sound so discouraging, even insulting. He says to her, verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she, what was she? She was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite. This seemed to exclude her altogether. We love the doctrine of election here at the stone, don't we? And what if Jesus were to tell you 
that you're not one of the elect? What if Jesus were to tell you that you're not one of the elect? What would your response be? How would you feel? This is exactly what Jesus' words would have meant to her, that she's not one of God's chosen people, that he did not come for her. But what's her response? Verse 25. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. What's she doing? She doesn't try to argue. She doesn't say, Lord, how in the world is that fair? She accepts it. She accepts it, but, but she refuses to leave. What is she doing? She's saying, Jesus, that may be the case, but where else am I going to go? Where else am I going to go? You're my only hope. If Abraham is the father of faith, this Canaanite woman is the mother of faith. She's the female Jacob that has gotten a hold of Jesus and she is saying to him, I will not let you go until you bless me, Jesus. You're my only hope. Where else am I going to go? That's faith. That's great faith. But Jesus isn't done. He wants to further draw her in. And so he answers. Verse 26. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Being silent is one thing. Saying I'm not here for you is one thing. But calling her a dog, calling her a dog, that's a whole other thing. Jesus is going too far here, isn't he? I know we live in a very dog-friendly society where dogs are treated like family members. I lost my sanity about a year ago, before 2020, before the stroke. I can't even blame it on those things. You can laugh at that, it's okay. Um, lost my mind. And so did my wife, Angela, and we got our kids a dog. And my kids love this dog, and they treat this dog better than they treat me. And my kids are like, Appa, Charlie, he, he needs a cushion. Can we get him a cushion? And I'm like, I need a cushion. My, my kids are like, Appa, Charlie looks lonely and sad today. Can he come sleep in our bed? And I'm like, I get lonely and sad sometimes. Ask me to come sleep in your bed. You know, I treat this dog, love this dog more than me. But as beloved as dogs are in this society, what if somebody called you a dog, right? You would feel mad, upset, angry, right? So why is Jesus doing this? First, we have to understand is that Jesus is telling her a parable. He's explaining through a parable that in his divine mission, he has come to the Jews first, God's chosen people. God's plan to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, including the Gentiles, was to first bring the good news of the gospel or the bread in this parable to the children first. That is the Jews first. And then the Jews were supposed to be the priesthood that were sent out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. This was a parable. You know, when Jesus says, I am divine and you are the branches, we don't get all upset saying, how dare you call me a branch, right? He's telling a parable. But again, what Jesus is continuing to do is to put on display the beauty of her faith. And Jesus knew that her faith was such that she could bear even this test of being called a dog. And what is her response to Jesus calling her a dog? She responds, verse 27. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
being called a dog didn't even deter her faith. Instead of stomping off, completely offended, saying in anger, how dare you call me a dog, she grips even tighter, she presses even further. What does she say? She says, yes, Lord. She doesn't say, how dare you? She says, yes, Lord, I am unworthy to eat from your table. So she doesn't walk away offended, but notice, she doesn't walk away in shame either. She says, yes, Lord, I'm unworthy. If you say I'm a dog, then I'm a dog. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What is she doing? She's answering Jesus from within the parable. In fact, this Gentile Canaanite woman is the first person to actually hear and understand one of Jesus' parables. Even Jesus' disciples, whenever he told a parable, he had to explain what it meant, right? But this woman, in her great faith, she hears and she understands Jesus' parable. She enters into his parable and allows herself to be claimed by it. She's saying, yes, Lord, I know I am a dog. I know I'm unfit. I know I don't deserve it. I know that, but I know something else. I know that you're merciful. I know that you're merciful. She's saying, I know that your table is so full and what you provide is so abundant that even though I don't deserve it, there are crumbs of mercy on that table that you have reserved for even dogs like me. In her great faith, she refuses to walk away from Jesus, either out of being offended nor out of being ashamed. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He said, if she walks away, if she screams because she won't see the magnitude of her sin, she had failed to understand Jesus as Savior. But if she walks away because she will not see the magnitude of his mercy, she has also failed. In other words, it takes pride. It takes pride, yes, to say, what do you mean I'm a dog? But it also takes pride to say, there's not enough mercy for me up there. My sins are too great. You see, there are two ways of rejecting Jesus. One way is to be offended by him. One way is to hear God's word, that we are born in our sins and our transgressions, that we are by, by nature children of wrath and be offended by that. And to think, who are you to call me a sinner? I don't deserve your wrath. What have I ever done to deserve hell, right? Walk away from Jesus offended, but there's another way to walk away from Jesus. There's another way to reject the gospel, and that is to walk away in shame. That is to say, you're right, I am a sinner. I'm just so awful, just done too many terrible things. There's just no way that God could ever love me. There's just no way that this God could ever have mercy on me. And in this way, you may be accepting how sinful you are, but you're rejecting what? You're rejecting how merciful he is. And while this has the appearance of humility, this too is pride. It's the pride of looking at the cross of Jesus and saying, not merciful enough. It's the pride of looking at the cross of Jesus and saying, my sins are greater than his mercy. And this second rejection is not to be taken lightly. In the book of Exodus, when Moses asked God, God, will you show me your glory? Show me your glory, God. This is what God did, Exodus 34, verse six. 
The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God displayed his glory by proclaiming who he is. And what did he say? He said, he's the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Moses, in essence, said to God, God, who are you? And the very first thing out of God's mouth is that he's merciful. Mercy is who he is. He's gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is what God says about himself first. And then he adds, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Judgment is what God does, but mercy is who he is. It's who he is. In the book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland says, left to our own natural intuitions about God, we will conclude that mercy is his strange work and judgment his natural work. Rewiring our vision for God as we study the scripture, we see that judgment is his strange work and mercy his natural work. Not once are we told. When we look through the scriptures, not once do we find that God has to be provoked to love, right? That God has to be provoked to mercy. His anger requires provocation, but his mercy is pent up and it's ready to gush forth. Mercy is who he is. And so this Canaanite woman and her great faith is clinging to the mercy of Jesus by saying, Lord, have mercy on me. She's saying, I know I'm unfit and unworthy, but I know you're merciful, so I'm not coming to you on the basis of my goodness. I'm coming to you on the basis of your goodness, not because of how deserving I am, but on the basis of how merciful you are. With her great faith, she's clinging to the person of Jesus. She's clinging to who he is, that he is the Lord, merciful and gracious. And so here's the Canaanite woman's great faith now fully on display for us to see. A faith that tears down barrier after barrier. Faith that refuses to let go. And what is Jesus' response? Verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. What is Jesus' response? He gave her mercy. He gave her mercy. He healed her daughter instantly. And he gave her praise that he didn't even give anybody else in all of Israel, not even his disciples. He says to her, oh, great is your faith. He gave her his delight. He gave her his great joy. Church, do you know that it makes Jesus so happy? It makes him so happy to give you his mercy. We think sometimes that when we go to him in our sin and brokenness, that he does give us mercy, but he reluctantly does so. But no, 
Mercy is who he is. He is pent up with mercy. When we ask Jesus for mercy, we're asking Jesus for Jesus. We're asking Jesus for what he loves to do, which is to give us himself. It makes him so happy to hear us ask him for him and not some other thing. Oh, what would it be like to see Jesus with the biggest smile on his face say to us, great is your faith, to hear him, to see him on that last day say to us, your faith, it was incredible. You made me so happy. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What is great faith? Great faith is us finding Jesus wherever he may be. Just wherever he may be, grabbing a hold of Jesus and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. This Canaanite woman living in the Gentile region of Sidon and Tyre showed us that. But how was any of that possible? How was any of that possible? Because Jesus came to her, right? Because Jesus came to her. Her faith wouldn't have been possible if he didn't come to her. He left the 99 in order to come to her, and that's what the cross is all about. At the cross, Jesus became a dog for us so that dogs like us might sit at the table as children. At the cross, the ultimate child of God was cast out without a crumb. It was him who truly heard not a word as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of the cross, it's God who will not walk away from us offended or ashamed of us. He is not ashamed to be called your God, church. At the cross, it's him who refused to let us go. Great faith is us looking at God and saying, I will not let you go. God, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna come to you. But through the cross, Jesus is saying to us, no, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna pursue you. I'm gonna come to you. I will not let you go. It makes our God so happy to give us his mercy. At a great cost to himself, he came to us so that we might go to him. So let's go to him, church. Father, what mercy, what grace, you truly are the Lord. A Lord merciful and gracious. Father, we were the Syro-Phoenician Gentile, Gentile of Gentiles, far away from you and your, yet your son came near. With his great mercy, he came near, Lord. So Father, let us never grow weary, no matter the sin, no matter the hardship, no matter the darkness, no matter the suffering, to keep coming after you. Father, will you continue to stir that soil that produces great faith? Father, let us never tire of coming to you and begging you for mercy because you never tire of giving it. Makes you so happy to give us 
your mercy. Thank you for the cross that made it all possible. Thank you for the mercy of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray.